Welcome, it's great to have you here. Welcome anyone who's watching online. Welcome to the people in the hall next door. Um, It's great that we are somewhat together. We're still dispersed, we're still um, very spread out, uh, but it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Hands up if this is your first service back after eight months in the building, yeah, about half of us, it's great. Uh, Very exciting times and um, it's different. It's different, um, but I, I pray it's an encouraging time for you and uh, one that you can embrace in all its differences, not be too distracted by how far apart we are, um, by the lack of expression across our faces, getting very good at reading eyes, and is that a smiling eye or is that a mean eye? I don't know. To me, everyone's got smiling eyes, so you're looking back at me and it's just, I mean, it, it's normally fairly blank, but it's even more blank. <laughs> <laughs> than usual. Um, hey, got some exciting news to share with you. Um, for those that weren't here last week or weren't part of our church meetings last week, we appointed Steve Postlewaite as our Associate Pastor for Kids and Families. Yes, big round of applause. Very exciting. Very exciting. And, and Steve is um, going to join and start um, on staff and join the pastoral team on the 10th of January. So, Hold off on bombarding him with all your pastoral requests for your kids and all that until he finishes his roles at, um, that he's currently in, at, in some chaplaincy roles, and um, give him a little bit of a break over Christmas, and then we'll, we'll get him into it um, next year. We'll do some inductions and, and all that um, planned for next year. But it's an exciting time for the church. It's an exciting time for, for our community to be able to invest um, in what I think is probably uh, the most important aspect of, of any church is that of the next generation is that we want to continue to grow young as a church. We want to continue to invest in, in young people um, from babies right... Th- we're all young. We're all young um, in the scheme of eternity. I mean, we're only just beginning, um, but we're all young and it's so important that we invest in the next generation and, and help them to grow in their faith and their discipleship journey. So it's an exciting time for us and the church. Uh, so be praying for Steve and, um, and the kids' teams um, um, over this break and as we begin to, to plan for 2021. Um, also very exciting that we are able to do some carols on the lawn on the 20th of December that Jackie mentioned. So can I encourage you to register for that? Um, just to, we need to, obviously, like anything at the moment, we need to know who's coming. We need to uh, be able to trace uh, all the people that are there. Um, but also it will be limited in capacity. At the moment it's limited to 300. Um, and maybe that might change in the, in the coming weeks. Um, but it will be limited no matter what. Um, so we need you to register because we want to push it out to the community and we know that as soon as we push it out to the community, uh, people will want to come because there's not a lot of carols events on at the moment so people will jump at an opportunity to hear some carols. So uh, make sure you register. The best way to do that, to register, is to um, jump on the church app. So you can download the church app. I think there's a, a slide on the, on the screen there. Church Centre, if you've got a, a phone or a, um, an iPad or... Even you, you can do this on your computer as well. You can get the Church Centre app, use your email, find a way to um, log in. If you need help, see someone um, that looks like they know how to use a, a phone or some sort of technology and, and they can assist you, I'm sure. And um, you can register for the carols, you can register for church next week um, and all the things that are coming up, you'll be able to see the events and, um, and get uh, understanding of what's happening in the future. Very cool. All right. Have you got your Bibles with you this morning? Very cool. 
Um, I've got Luke chapter 7. I want to read um, a few verses in Luke chapter 7. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, I'm going to start at verse 36. Luke 7, 36. All right. It says this, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he, he being Jesus, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster, alabaster flask, flask, oh my gosh, of ointment. I need another coffee. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, um, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is he who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is alive, it is active, it is able to speak to our hearts, it is able to transform us. And God, we pray this morning it would do just that, that it would change us, that it would encourage us, transform us into, um, into who you've created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the final week of a series um, called Thanksgiving and Worship, and this morning I want to talk about this idea of grateful actions or grateful living. Um, I don't know if you've seen um, on social media or on the internet anywhere these little sayings that come up. I was today years old when I found out. Have you, has anyone heard these or seen these before? I was today years old. I mean, it's a funny thing to say because it doesn't make sense at all, but uh, I found some of these and um, I thought they were quite... Funny, this, uh, John's going to chuck them up for me. I was today years old when I learned that this little piggy went to market doesn't mean he went food shopping. Just think about that for a second. I was today years old when I learned how long our legs are. Look at that. I'm sure that's a basketball player, Al. I was today years old when I learned that the division sign is just a blank fraction with dots replacing the numerator and the denominator. I mean, maybe these are just like... Obviously, you know all these things, but I mean, I, I saw these and with it. That's amazing. And another one, I think. I was today years old when I learned that turtles are not inside their shells, they are their shells. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? Because I always thought like a turtle was like a snail, which is just like pluck and change a sh. No, apparently not. I was today years old when I learned that the word footage refers to the fact that motion picture films are measured in feet. Anyone else know that? You knew that already, didn't you? You're very smart people. <laughs> Much smarter than me. And the whole idea of these, I was today, is I was like, these are life-shattering moments. Like, these are uh, moments that 
change your life apparently. I mean, hopefully they are not too uh, life-shattering for you or life-building. But I think um, when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to forgiveness, we should have these sort of this moment of when I found out about that, it changed everything. When I found out about what Jesus had done for me, when I found out about the forgiveness he offered me, it changed everything for me. Maybe uh, finding out about a turtle's makeup doesn't change everything for you, but finding out about the forgiveness that Jesus offers should change, anything, should change everything for us. This truth leads us to real gratitude. And it, this real gratitude leads our life. This is what we see in this story with this woman, is that she finds out about who Jesus is. She finds out about this forgiveness that he offers. And it changes her life. It completely changes her life. Let's just read a couple of these verses again, verse 37 and 38. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, most commentators would say that's probably uh, in reference to a, a prostitute, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And if we read uh, just verses 44 to 46 again, after this sort of happened, then turning to the woman, he said, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Do you want me to stand back a bit, Derek? Is this really... Let's try it up here. I'm just going to wreck all the camera angles and everything. There you go. There's a stark difference, isn't there, between the, the woman and Simon the Pharisee. The, the, the woman comes in and, I mean, she's just undignified in the way she pours out her appreciation. She pours out her love. She pours out everything she has on the feet of Jesus, whereas Simon the Pharisee comes in and he's a bit more, just blends in with what's happening around him. There was a stark difference between Simon the Pharisee and the woman with the alabaster jar. One showed an obvious amount of gratitude towards Jesus and the other blended into the culture in which he found himself. Thanksgiving and worship, when we think about this idea, which is what this woman showed through her actions, is the right response to forgiveness of sins when it comes to Jesus, is the right and appropriate response and this morning I want to keep coming back to this main idea that the evidence of forgiveness of sins is a changed life. The evidence of forgiven sins is a changed life. We can easily fit in to the culture around us and forget or not fully appreciate what it is that's, uh, that Jesus has done for us. But the evidence of forgiven sins is a changed life. And it should be one that stands out from those around us, stands out from the people that we maybe um, interact with on a day-to-day life. I want to look at a couple of things just in this um, passage, though, that I think maybe can be confusing or can, um, can mislead us in, in the way we read this. And, and, and the first one's uh, this idea found in verse 47. When Jesus says, he's, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And this word, for she loved much, is a really important idea to, for us to, 
to wrestle with and to, to get our head around because that's an important word and, and for or different translations will translate in different ways but this can either mean because or it can mean as, as evident by. You know, we might say, or I might say to you, um, Barry broke his leg for he fell off the roof. So I'm saying he broke his leg because for the, the cause of his break was for he fell off the roof. As in, and, and we could read that this way in this passage, and we could say, her sins are forgiven because she loved much. And if we read it that way, it's a, it's a really dangerous way to, to begin to think about gratitude and, and, uh, and thanksgiving and, and responding to Jesus because we begin to think, well, it's a, it's a performance-based thing. The more I love Jesus, the more I'll experience his forgiveness. The more I appreciate, the more I respond, the more forgiven I'll be. If I love God more, if I worship him more, if I'm more grateful, then I'll experience more forgiveness in my life. Or we can think of for as evident by. I could say, Barry broke his leg for I saw the bone sticking out from his leg. The evidence was what I saw. It didn't cause the break. It wasn't, that didn't cause the break. It was just the evidence that it was broken. And again, when we read that this way, as in her sins are forgiven as evident by her much love. So it's really important as we think about this idea of forgiveness of sins leading to a changed life. It's that the changed life doesn't come first. Forgiveness of sins comes first. And forgiveness of sins leads us to a changed life. It changes the way we respond. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we act. Our gratitude doesn't cause good things from God, but rather it's evidence of good things from God in our life. The evidence of forgiven sins is a changed life. The second idea or the second challenge we have in in reading a passage like this, especially this one, is if I read uh, verse 47 again, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, for she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. This idea that uh, if we sin more, will we love God more? If we sin more and then are therefore forgiven more, will we love God more? I mean, even the parable that Jesus tells us seems to lead to this sort of point. The parable tells us that there's one person that has 500 pieces of silver, 500 denarii. Um, they're forgiven their debt and the person who's forgiven 50 um, is going to love less than the person who's forgiven 500. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? So we could ask this question, and I think it's a pretty legitimate question, if we sin more, or if we sin with greater sins, uh, will we love God more? Is the person who has been forgiven for many or more impactful sins prone to love God more than those that have lived and sinned less in their life? Those who have greater sins seem to have a greater sense of God's forgiveness, greater impact on their life, greater impact on their response to Jesus. And I'll say, I think so. I think, that's, I think that's what's happening here. But I think what we need to understand is there's different types of love and different types of gratitude that we can show towards Jesus. Perhaps, um, you know, down the road, the disciples pulled Jesus up and said, oh, Jesus, what you said about that parable and, you know, being forgiven a lot and, and loving a lot, you know, for those of us that maybe have followed you closely and haven't sinned a, a whole lot, or sinned in the same way, 
how do we, how do we love you more? And, and he might have turned around and said something like this. Um, who loves God more? The one I enable to lead a thousand people to Jesus or the one I enable to lead only ten to Jesus? Or who loves God more? The one I kept back from 500 sins or the one I kept back from just 50 sins? Or who loves God more? The one I save from significant tragedy and pain in their life or the one I allowed tragedy and pain in their life? And the point I'm trying to make is this, that God graces us all in different ways. God's grace extended to you is unique to you. And your response to that grace is unique in itself as well. You know, different people love God in different ways and with different amounts of love depending on what God has done in their life. And the point is not to compare how many sins have you committed compared to how many sins have I committed and who's going to love God more in response, but how has God graced each and every one of us? What has God saved us from? What has God spared us from? What has God done through us? What has God forgiven us from? And all that combined is a very unique blend of grace just for each and every one of us. And as we think about that, as we remember that, it's going to cause us to love God more. And more than the person next to us in just a different way. Because of the grace that we've experienced. God graces us all differently and we might have more love and thanks for the sins that we've been forgiven than someone else, but they're different types of grace. So what is, God, what is God's grace on your life? What has God spared you from or given to you or allowed you to experience? We all have this different sort of grace and they all lead in different ways to a changed life, a life that pours out all we have. I'm not sure about you, but I've never broken an alabaster jar of perfume anywhere on Jesus or at a church or on anyone's life. And I don't think the point that Jesus is trying to make is this is how you to respond, is you all need to go out and find, and I don't even know where you'd find an alabaster jar, um, and fill it with expensive perfume and break it. Like, that's, that's the response I'm looking for. Of course that's not the response Jesus is looking for. That was the response that this woman needed to give. But what's the response that you need to give? What's the love that you need to pour out on Jesus? What's the way in which you need to live that shows your, your gratitude, your worship, your thanksgiving? I think for this woman, the alabaster jar um, might have represented um, some of her life, some of her past life, some of the way she, in which she was trying to attract men to herself. And she was pouring this out as an offering, saying, I'm giving this up, I'm surrendering, I'm giving up everything, all I have, and, and turning to you instead. I think when we think about worship, this is what worship really is all about, is that we turn from anything apart from Jesus that we find any meaning, significance, purpose, um, acceptance, worth. When we turn from those things in our world that promise to give it, and we say, God, I'm giving that up, and I'm chasing you instead. I'm turning to you instead. That's what worship is all about. When we think about um, John, I think it's John chapter 4, there's a Samaritan woman at the well, you know this story, and she goes to the well and she's going to fetch water in the middle of the day because um, there's an assumption there that she's a bit embarrassed of 
who she might interact with. She's a bit of an outcast. She's had six husbands and she's now living with another man who's a seventh. Um, and she goes and, and Jesus meets her there and um, he says to her, I can give you living water, which will never run dry. And the woman's like, I want, I want this. I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well because I keep getting thirsty every day. I keep coming back and I have another drink and I mean, it's just the way God made us. I keep getting thirsty every day. After this, I'll, I'll need a drink. I'll get thirsty. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you living water. You won't have to be thirsty again. And I'm sure we'd all be like, oh, this sounds great. This sounds great. And of course he wasn't talking about water. He was talking about this woman's life. It was symbolic of you keep going to these different men looking for something which they cannot give you. But if you come to me, I can give you what you're really looking for. I can give you the worth. I can give you the acceptance. I can give you the meaning and the purpose that you're looking for. And then that passage goes on to talk about worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I think it's God's way of um, putting the, the story together to show us what worship is really all about. When we go to Jesus for our meaning, when we go and, and give up those things in which we try to hang on to. Even the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you know, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to go away and sell all you have. You need to stop hanging on to the things of this world. They won't give you what I can. And it's a changed life that he's looking for. It's that pouring out of or surrendering of the things that we continue to go to. Forgiveness leads to a changed life. And a changed life is one that's full of worship, full of laying down anything and everything that we try to get our sense of meaning and satisfaction, worth or acceptance from. And when we lay these down, we can fully embrace the forgiveness and the life that Jesus offers. And it's evidenced by a changed life. The more we lay it down, the more we embrace who Jesus is and what he has done, the more our lives are changed. So how can we live with gratitude? How can we continue to be grateful in the way we live? By embracing the forgiveness that Jesus has for us. By embracing the grace that Jesus has poured out on all of us. The evidence of forgiven sins is a changed life. And I want to remind you this morning, as the team come back up and as we get ready to finish, that God loves you, that God has forgiven your sins, that you are accepted, that you are loved. You have worth. You have meaning. Wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you sit with God, if you feel distant from him or close to him, I want to remind you again that Jesus has done all he needs to do. Jesus has taken your sin. He has taken anything that separates you from himself. And he has paid for it on the cross. And he asked you to come to him and to accept that forgiveness, to embrace that forgiveness. Not just for those that are not Christians yet, but for us as Christians as well, we need to continually come back to this forgiveness continually come back to this grace that he gives us. Because every time we come back to it, it changes us. It changes us again and again and again. And so this morning, I want to I ask and challenge us, how can you embrace the grace that Jesus has for you again? 
Maybe just where you are, you can close your eyes. Maybe at home, close your eyes as well. You can take a moment just to, just to remember again the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That he accepts you. That he loves you. He has purpose for your life. He has meaning for your life. He gives you worth. Anything in this world that we try to chase for those things, he gives it so much better. And it never runs out. And God, this morning I pray for for each and every one of us that we might turn to you again. We might be like this woman who broke the alabaster jar and poured out all she had. To know that you are the only one who can give us what we really need. You are the one that loves us, forgives us, changes us. And so God, we choose to turn to you again this morning. We choose to turn our hearts to you. And God, we don't want to just be thankful in our hearts and our words, but we want to be thankful with everything we are, with everything we do. And God, we want the forgiveness of sins to change our lives in such a way that the people around us would see what we have, see what you have done in us and want it for themselves. And so God, would you continue to change us this morning? Would you continue to reveal your grace to us? Reveal your love to us? We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for what you've done for us and and who you are to us. We pray this in Jesus' name for joining us this morning. It's been great to have you. If you're in the building, please stick in the room that you're in um, unless you're heading out to, to go home. Have a great week.